Thank you, Travis and Laura. And in our daily lives, we should be seeking to trust, rest, and depend upon Christ. A couple thought questions as we begin this morning. How is it possible for a sinner to come to be God's elect? How is it possible for a sinner to come to be God's elect? What is the purpose of God electing sinners? Is it so they can go to heaven? What two items do believers need in abundance if they are to live well as strangers in this world? Let's read together 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 and 2. Remember, Peter is writing to the saints in a number of areas, as appears on PowerPoint. This is writing to Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bethania, and so on. So we're dealing with a fairly big area writing to saints who are strangers in the world, strangers in the sense that they were living by different standards than the world, the communities in which they lived, because they were God's elect. First Peter, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethania, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Again, writing to people in a broad area, not people in a specific city or locality. And again, they were experiencing difficulties because... They were believers in Christ, they're God's elect, and they were not living by the cultural and society or societal norms of the areas in which they live. And Paul reminds them of their identity in verse 1. Paul, Peter, not Paul. No, Peter, not Paul. Got that all mixed up here. It's Peter. Okay. Peter, an apostle of Christ, and he says, to God's elect. And you will find in Scripture quite often identity is important. God related to Israel. God related to his apostles as God relates to saints down through the ages. He reminds them of who they are, God's elect, strangers in the world. And then he says, where they're scattered. We find in verse 2 the nature of, of the election that took place. And we find that Peter says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Foreknowledge means to know beforehand, to be previously acquainted with, 
in Acts chapter 2. And let's turn there for a moment. Acts chapter 2, we find that Peter is speaking on the day of Pentecost. And in speaking on the day of Pentecost, he talks about, or talking to Israel and talks about Christ. In verse 23, it says, This man, referring to Christ, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Notice this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. God knew beforehand, God was previously acquainted with the fact that Christ was going to be handed over for the cross. He knew that beforehand. He was acquainted with that beforehand. You find in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 that God foreknew those he called and those he called, he justified and those he justified, he glorified. God knew that in advance. In Romans 11 and verse 2, we find that Paul there talks about the fact that God foreknew Israel. When he sets Israel aside, he talks about the fact that he foreknew them, to know beforehand. So God has acted, God acted in the past, that is, he chose, he elected long before his hearers had been born. That's the idea of foreknowledge. So God's elect in Asia, Bethany, and so on. God was previously acquainted with them. He knew them beforehand. That was true of his hearers, and that would be true of believers in Christ today. He goes on, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Obviously, the people to whom he's writing were sons and daughters of God by God's action. God began the work. God worked in their lives. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, notice in verse 3 of chapter 1 of verse Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we find that he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 17 of chapter 1. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your life as strangers here in reverent fear. God is Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is Father of those to whom Peter is writing. and will be the Father of people today that have come to faith in Christ. How does God relate as a father? If you want to know what God is like as a father, read the Gospels and look at the interaction between Jesus and God, especially the Gospel of John. What is God like as a father? You'll find that in his relating to Jesus, there was open communication. He affirmed his son and who he was, his identity. He communicated his will. The son was dependent. When you think of God as father, don't think of necessarily earthly fathers. Read scripture and see how God related. Peter says the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then he says, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. God the Father foreknew. 
but the sanctifying work of the Spirit is involved. The phrase communicates how the hearers came to be God's elect and to be believers in Christ. Sanctifying means to separate from common use for specific use, for a hallowed use. It's set apart. These people were taken from living in ignorance, as he, Peter says later, and living for God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Spirit setting them apart. Obviously, we know the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He's a counselor that was promised. He's the one who convicts. He's the one who comforts. Where would a believer be without the work of the Holy Spirit? Where would the people to whom Peter is writing be without the sanctifying work of the Spirit? Where would you and I be today without the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit? The obvious answer is, we wouldn't have been separated from common use to specific use for God's glory. Again, it's a work of God, God acting through his spirit. God takes the initiative, and then we find that sinners respond in faith. So God's elect, they're strangers in the world, have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, how through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And then we find that word for. What is the purpose of God's election? Peter says, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Obedience simply means to listen, a submissive acceptance, and a compliance. These people who had lived in ignorance, who had followed the culture at that point in time, were elected by God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for them to be obedient to Jesus Christ, to listen, to render submissive acceptance, to be compliant. Please note that God's elect are not free to live, think, and do as they please. Obedience to Jesus Christ is central. They don't follow the society and cultural norms in which they live. And Peter makes that very clear in his letter. Look at chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Obedience to Jesus Christ. Don't live the way you did in the past. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes, or babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Obedience to Christ. 
ridding themselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and so on. Look at chapter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Apparently, in the culture of that day, husbands were not being considered as they lived with their wives. We're not treating them well. And as you do a study of church history, you will find that the role of women and wives changed tremendously when Christianity came into a culture. Submissive to Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 4 and verse 7. Not living the way they did. Obedience to Christ involved... The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. What's he saying? Submissive. You're elected through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 5 and verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Obedience to Jesus Christ, young men. Submit to those who are older. Clothe yourself with humility. Obedience To Jesus Christ, Peter is saying, trumps culture and societal norms. He says, you've been called, you're God's elect, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. Sprinkled by the blood of Christ. The idea of sprinkling is to purify, to cleanse. Very clearly, sin is central. It's interesting that the term sprinkled is used, or sprinkling is used, tying in with the Old Testament. The blood of Old Testament sacrifices were sprinkled, and we'll touch more on that, Lord willing, next week. When we come to Christ, we're not dealing with something new. There's continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Then in Hebrews 12, 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, the saints of righteous men made perfect, 
through Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, a sprinkled blood. What is the purpose of God's electing the people to whom Peter is writing, electing saints today, sprinkling by his blood? As one considers the flow of 1 Peter, this purification involves our, as long uh, as well as Peter's hearers, Sins past, sins present, sins future. It also involves the thinking, the words, and the actions of Peter's hearers along with us today. Because of that, being God's elect, For Peter's hearers, for us today, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for sprinkling by His blood, that means God's elect don't need to live in guilt over past sins. How much time did Peter's hearers spend being tempted to think about their past. How many of us in our daily lives are reminded of things we did in the past because we're living with some of the consequences and that may may have involved sin? Peter says, sprinkling by his blood. God's elect don't need to live in slavery to present temptations. Because of the sprinkling By Christ's blood. Sin has been dealt with. Sins in the past dealt with. Temptations in the present also dealt with. The resources to live in yieldedness to Christ have been provided. God's elect don't need to live according to one's present culture and society. Why? Because of the sprinkling by the blood of Christ. It affects how we live according to our past, how we live in the present, and how we respond in the future. The blood of Christ, the sprinkling by His blood, cleanses, purifies the past dealt with Victory in the present possible and a glorious inheritance in the future. By whose action? By God's. Peter goes on then, stating his desire for God's elect. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace. Grace involves unearned favor. The giving of undeserved blessing. 
Look at chapter 1 and verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. It's grace that took these people to whom Peter is writing. They lived in ignorance, evil desires, and they're now God's elect. Look at chapter 1 and verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Grace. People who had lived not good lives. Empty way of life handed down from your forefathers. In God's grace, he dealt with that life. He extended saving favor to them. Do we see grace in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of, out of his darkness into his wonderful light. That's grace. Those who lived in ignorance, those who had evil desires, those who lived according to the empty way of the life of their forefathers, now they're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's grace. Paul says, I desire for you that you have grace in abundance. God's honor and favor in abundance. He says, I also desire for you peace. The idea of peace is wholeness, not divided. Do you ever ever have your mind go in two directions or trying to go in two directions at the same time? That's the opposite of Peace. Involved in peace is calmness. Involved in peace is the inside and the outside going in the same direction. They're in harmony with one another. You know, the way you live is in harmony with the heart. The way Peter's hearers lived was in harmony with the heart. There was a peace. How often we need peace. From God. The hearers to whom Peter is writing face persecution quite often, not from the government, just from people in their day by day living because they were seeking to live in sensitivity to God. Paul says that these are peace, that God would give you peace. Calmness, the inside and the outside being together. Again, think about peace. Think about grace and how much we need it. And Peter says, I desire this grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now to illustrate abundance, the idea of abundance is to multiply, to cause, to increase. That's some money here. I'm planning to give it away. You need a volunteer. Micah. What's your favorite candy bar? His hand was up first, I think. Hershey. Hershey bar? Do you know how much it cost? About how much? Uh, About a dollar. About a dollar? 
Okay, I'm going to give you money to buy a Hershey bar in abundance. There's six dollars. You may sit down. (laughs) Paul says, I'm desiring for you who are God's elect to have grace and peace. You need a buck? I'm praying, I desire that you'll have six bucks of grace and peace in abundance. Not just enough to get by, but in abundance. Think about grace and peace. Why would Paul, why would Peter, why would Jude, why would John all begin their epistles with grace and peace to you? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the ultimate source of grace and peace? Is it not God? Where would we be? Where would Peter's hearers be without grace and peace from God? Still in darkness. What is living without grace and peace like? Ponder that for a minute. What is living without grace and peace like? Some of you know what that's like. Probably all of us have experienced it in one way, shape, or form in relationships. Little grace, little peace. What is a marriage like? What is an extended family like without grace and peace? A number of years ago, after Ruth Ann's mother passed away, <clears throat> Ruth Ann's mother and dad had you know, some money and resources, not tons of it. And it was Ruth Ann and her brother, you know, that had to be dealt with. And I thought it went well because there was grace and peace on the part of both Dave and Linda and Ruth Ann and myself. Yeah, some families and mom and dad pass away, and it's a big, big battle because there's a lack of grace and peace. For Peter's hearers, an unbelieving, or I'm sorry, a believing wife living with an unbelieving husband, she needs grace and peace. A slave working for an unbelieving master that is really cruel. He needs, she needs grace and peace. Paul says grace and peace be yours in abundance. So think about these couple of verses, just a couple observations. God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are all involved in sinners being God's elect and being strangers. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all involved. Anything we have, anything Peter's hearers had, is due to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. This is central. It's not about us, our ability, our effort. We're responders. Hunter, what it means to have God as Father. From the passage considered, 
we know it involves. He chose us to be his children. If you ponder that very long, it brings you to tears. Rebels, separated from God, still made in God's image, but he chose us to be his children. He acted for birth, spiritual birth, to be a reality. It involves living as strangers because he is our father. He gave us Christ as a sacrifice. He gave his son. It would be like one of us as parents giving one of our children in death to pay the penalty for one of the worst criminals in our country. God as father means he deserves obedience. It means he cleansed us. All of those items found in verses 1 and 2 as you consider it. In context. If we're going to live as God's elect in 21st century America as strangers in obedience to Christ because we're sprinkled by his blood, we need one another. We need the body of Christ just as the people to whom Peter is writing, they needed one another. We need one another. And I want you to reflect on that. As we live as strangers, as we sing together a song, blessed be the tie. Travis?